for every book that has stood the test of time and taken its revered place among the great religious texts of our day, there are dozens more that were rejected, destroyed, and thrown into the dustbins of history. Why were texts considered sacred by many excluded by others? Who made the decisions and why? 64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Welcome to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. My name is Igor S.F. Walker. Today, we look at Censoring God, the history of the lost books and the other excluded scriptures by Jim Willis. So how about you slow down and relax? Reduce all that noise for just a bit. Make that choice and decide to listen. In this video, we look at why did some religious texts make the final cut in the Bible while others fell by the wayside. Most Protestant denominations settle on 66 canonical books of the Bible, while there are 73 for Roman Catholics and 78 for Eastern Orthodox adherents. Why are there these differences of opinion? Why isn't the Book of Enoch in the Holy Bible, even though Enoch is referenced multiple times? Stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I have in use that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and all of your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. The warfare occupying the world today is wrapped in religion. The power is technological, the forces are economic, but the people doing the acts are actually inspired by their religions. Muslim terrorists rage against America, the great Satan. American leaders pray that God will bless America. Israeli troops carry Taurus in their packs. Jews against Muslim, Christians against Jews, Muslim against Christian. And all these religions revere the book. History sings two siren songs. The first is a simple and direct melody sung in a major key that appeals to those who want their music straightforward and direct. It features tonic and dominant harmonies that revolve around the questions when, who, where, and how. Now, the second is much more complicated, often disturbing, and usually sung in a minor key. 
it dances around just one question. Why? <clears throat> Seems fiendishly designed to remain in the background. The sottovoce counterpoint motif to the clarion call of the composition called Life. The first song has been dissected by academia, codified, neatly explained, and reproduced in history books and religious scriptures, accompanied by glorious illustrations in which the colors always remain within the lines. Now the second is heard only by those who listen for the music of the spheres and remain open to its spell. It is the pianissimo response of a composition called Meaning. The two songs always occur in counterpoint. Only when we listen to them both is reality made complete. <clears throat> For every book that has stood the test of time and taken its, its revered place among the great religious texts of our day, there are dozens more that were rejected, destroyed, and thrown into the dustbin of history. Did those forgotten texts reveal wisdom that the old ones understood, but we have forgotten? Did ancient writers who asked the elusive why question know as much or even more than we do about meaning and purpose? Is that why their books were at best redacted or at worst consigned to the waste basket? How did the Bible come to be? Did it really arrive on the world's stage as a fully formed product straight from the mouth, straight from the mouth of God? After all, that's where the words come from, don't they? From somebody's mouth. People are often surprised to discover that there are at least 50 more Gospels, some of which exist only in fragments, while others are complete and whole that were considered a subsequently discarded by the committees who decided which books were determined to be inspired by God and which were not. Now this process didn't begin until the late 4th century after Christ. And even today, there is a difference of opinion between Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and Protestant believers. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to go back to some of those 4th century deliberations and then peek in to the wastebasket after their meetings ended. The Sumerians and Jews, for instance, believed God wanted to destroy the world with a great flood. Why? The Hopi natives believed their ancestors were forced to endure the destruction of three former worlds. Why? The Maya and the Canaanites believed they needed to offer sacrifice to appease an angry God. Why? The Egyptians believed they needed to build great stone pyramids to send their leaders off to the stars. Why? The Christians 
believe Jesus needed to return to earth in order to bring about Armageddon and the defeat of the devil. Why? I ask. Why? Why did some religious texts make the final cut in the Bible while others fell by the wayside? Ultimately, it was because of a group of men. There's very little evidence of women being allowed in the fraternity of early biblical redactors. They decided that some books would make it and then others would not. Now, if you believe God was somehow involved in their decision-making, you can accept their work as divinely inspired. But if you wonder whether other more mundane earthly forces were at work, you've got to admit that the first redactors might actually be guilty of sex censoring the creative force at work in the universe or God. Now, does this prove that super intelligent, perhaps even supernatural entities are working behind the scenes in human history? Are redactions and editing committees from our distant past guilty of unknowingly suppressing, maybe even censoring, their warnings by eliminating passages of the Bible that might contain secret clues that point to our future? If so, are they guilty of keeping us and from us the very messages that might save us from ourselves, or at the very least, teach us more about who we are by revealing our hidden past? In the end, only time will tell. We come face to face with political decisions, committee decisions, interpretations by unknown scribes, and choices made based on the bias of the individually held theologies. It's not that these books are racy or controversial in terms of juicy content. content. It's just that, once again, the Bible of today is not the clear and concise Word of God. It is touted to be. It is instead a heavily redacted, edited, opinion-oriented, censored volume produced by unknown and unidentified gatekeepers, for all we know, might have had an axe to grind. Now, what are these truths that were so dangerous? Why don't more people know about them? Could it be that the very information they sought to reveal is at least as important as that of the books more commonly read today? It has been said that the smartest thing that the devil ever did was to convince humans that he did not exist. Now, reading the Sumerian myth, we go one step even further. It says that the smartest thing that the devil ever did was to convince humans that he was actually God. Now, according to the scripture, J-H-V-H, translated as Lord, 
is not the creator. The creator is Enlil, the enslaver of humankind, henceforth known as the Demiurge. He's head of the patriarchal system that wants to suppress freedom, especially the freedom of women. He doesn't want equality. He wants subservient slaves. He doesn't want creative, right-brain, intuitive thinkers. He actually wants left-brained, obedient servants who are forced to work each and every day. <coughs> See, together these texts constitute one long pseudobiographical book. Undoubtedly, those who put the Bible together were confused as to authorship and authenticity and therefore decided to leave out the whole thing. Even though the subjects they do cover deal with rather important moral themes. In some cases, they contradict sections of the Bible now understood by the many to be the Word of God. But after reading them, we can't help but wonder are these books that made the final cut and ended up in the Bible really much different from those that were cut? Who made the choices and why? Can we trust the judgment? What were the criteria that they used to approve of some and disallow others? Was God at work in the process? And if so, where in the Bible does it say that? If some books are inspired and others are not, who makes that decision? Which is which? Some of the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus acknowledge women as authors, but they were rejected. Now, is this evidence of the male bias of the gatekeepers who made the final choices? Given the obvious, and in some cases glaring discrepancies of the archaeological record, is the Eden story really different or any less accurate than the story that we were taught in school? When the deluge ended and the earth slowly began its step-by-step path to what we now call normal, Eden was a forgotten experience, remembered only in myth. But there is archaeological evidence that the world began a new phase outside the boundaries of Eden. It was precisely at this time that the first temple at the Gobekli Tepe in Turkey was built, and some of the first agriculture experiments were conducted. Strange symbols involving sky charts, animal effigies, and religion are found there. Megalithic figures were crafted. Their hands, pictured, are as clasped over their bellies, just like the giant figures found in Peru, Indonesia, Mexico, and the Moai statues of the Easter Island. And then, as soon as Gobekli Tepe was finished, it was buried, until our time. Why? The answer is again speculative. But when we want to remember a particular era, we bury a time capsule that then we will dug up at a future date to testify to our presence. And then to remind 
future people what we were like. All the evidence that has been discovered about, about Denisovans indicate that they were, to put it mildly, a robust species. We know they mated with our species because many of you, now listening to these words, actually have Denisovan DNA flowing through your veins. Now, we could go on and on. It's not necessary to highlight reports from China, from Australia, and from everywhere in between. Indeed, we can begin with the passages of, from the Bible and then move on to the extra-biblical materials such as Enoch and then point out to that such descriptions of giants in the land we're not limited to biblical writers who have long been accused of writing accounts that were merely mythological in nature. Now, these accounts were universal, familiar to people all around the world. Those who decided which books were inspired and which were not, and possibly even discarded material on the basis of this kind of content, knew perfectly well that these stories had circulated for a long, long, long time by the time both Old and New Testament of the Bible were assembled. A long time after the death of Jesus, such stories were obviously already suspect. Most probably illustrates yet again that the gatekeepers in charge of assembling sacred texts were operating out of a sense of perceived human intelligence and not as was what was their claim, divine guidance. What we read today is based on their prejudice, not their inspired wisdom. Now this leads us to ask some questions, the answer to which we may never know for certain. The natural human tendency, unfortunately, is to exploit things rather than be grateful for them. What we have seen happen again and again when it comes to the work of these gatekeepers who ultimately put together the Bible, the close examination reveals time and time again that they might very well have succumbed to the common mistakes of first believing whether or not something is true, and then selecting those texts which fortified their position. Now, this is not scholarship. This is censorship. The tide of history turned against Gnosticism during the middle years of the second century. After Valentinus, there was never again a prominent Gnostic in any position to affect change. So the idea of knowing God personally through direct revelation was replaced by the necessity of a layer of intervening priests. Better to control the masses, the church, in other words, became political as well as spiritual. From then on, church leaders would decide which texts were allowed and which were to be destroyed. By 180 CE, the bishop, who even today is considered to be one of the greatest 
church founders, a priest by the name of Irenaeus, the Bishop of Lyon, began to publish a series of attacks on Gnosticism, declaring it heretical. Gnosticism as a Christian tradition was eradicated. Its followers were excommunicated, its texts destroyed, and even its memory purged from public consciousness. That's the way the matter would have stood forever. Were it not for the monks of St. Pachomius, they could not bring themselves to destroy their sacred library, so they buried it in the desert sand near Nag Hammadi, praying that someday their work will be discovered and then brought up again into the light of the day. In 1945, their prayers were answered. Now, if Gnosticism means knowing, it is time to ask what it was that these knowers knew. What was so dangerous about their teaching that the early church felt the need to so thoroughly destroy it? The biblical gospels, according to Harper's theory, are really a dramatization of the story about incarnation and resurrection of the Egyptian priests. And it had been recounting for perhaps thousands of years. They were transferred to the pages of the Bible from the Egyptian mythology through Egyptian Gnostic mysticism, then Hellenic philosophy, then Hebrew religion, and then finally into the Greek and into the New Testament and into the arena of history. The knowledge lost to the world is incalculable. And most of the damage was perpetrated by those who claimed to be doing the work of God. There's no doubt that those who believed that divine, divine wisdom could only be found within the pages of their own particular holy book influenced the course of world history. And we have all suffered from their actions. When the Bible was compiled, the Americas were virtually unknown to those from Europe and from Asia. Now, does this mean that the Americas were uninhabited? Absolutely not. Rich, full civilizations existed there and had for thousands of years. Now, does that mean that the people of the Americas were too primitive to discern wisdom from a universal consciousness, some people call God, which managed to produce stellar religious texts? Again, absolutely no! The spirituality of many indigenous American people actually rivaled and in many cases surpassed that of anyone else in the world. And when Christianity finally did come to the Americas, carried there by the conquistadors of Spain, the results were, for the most part, tragic. Hidden in plain sight, high in the Andes, mountains of Peru, lie some of the world's eloquent examples of forgotten scriptures to be found in the entire world. 
Now they're not written on parchment. They are carved into the soil of the earth, the dust of the ground. They were there long before Europeans discovered them. Indeed, ever since their mysterious authors created them, they were completely unknown until humans invented the airplane. Songs of distant voices. In many cases, these texts were not censored by outsiders. Quite the contrary, they were accepted and they were well known. They had many adherents who actually read them and believed into their message. But for the most part, they had been ignored. It is a strange story and it illustrates the ultimate way sacred texts are censored. We read them, we believe them, and then we ignore their message because they speak of a future time that right now doesn't concern us. Sadly, it is an all too common practice called hypocrisy. And in this case, the gatekeepers are us. The great tragedy of religious history is not that the core message of the great faiths is wrong. It is that it is too often ignored. Divine censorship, no matter how it is defined, can result in drastic earthly consequences. It is better by far to allow the song of distant voices to ring forth, bring clarity, than to stifle the melody, no matter what motives are held forth to justify the act. Who knows? which songs come from the mind of God, however God is defined or understood. And there you have it, censoring God. Please do help out, it is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and then spread the word, share it. Leave a comment, share your thoughts, talk to me. Please do subscribe to my channel and then stay up to date. The link to this book is also in the description below, so you buy it and you read and you never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself, take the free test on my website and find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness social awareness, self-management, and relationship management even further, then do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.